China, the Chinese chicken. Chickity China, the Chinese chicken. What a weird fucking song. Like, it's amazing when you look back at some of the songs that have dominated uh, basically top 40 radio and you just look at either how, like, overtly sexual it is or how fucking lame it is. Uh, Butterfly Kisses from Daddy. If you haven't heard that banger, I suggest you look it up. I think that was a 90s gem. Or, uh... The Christmas Shoes? Oh, my God, dude. Look up The Christmas Shoes. Um, I'm going to look up right now who that's by. They have a real dumb, very literal name. The Christmas Shoes. Oh, here's just a little taste. Oh, yeah. Give me them vocals. It was almost Christmas. And I stood in another line Supporting corporate America Because we're a consumer nation I don't know how to love my kids So I need to buy them stuff But my dad never hugged me So I can't hug my son Um, it's not exactly how the song goes But you get the idea Uh, it sucks and it manages to resurface every now and then around the holidays. And spoiler, it's about someone getting cancer and dying and then talking about it with a poor kid who can't buy a pair of shoes. And apparently that's supposed to make you feel good about God. Go listen to it. It'll uh, I don't know, improve your life or reinforce that everything is meaningless and we're spiraling towards a black hole. Anyways, the- <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Mind Meld Podcast with Dave Perry. Uh, Believe it or not, I am Dave Perry. And believe it or not, this is the Mind Meld Podcast. That's why I'm thank you for listening to it. Uh, You can probably tune out at any fucking time that you want, but I'd appreciate it if you listen to the whole thing. I think you'll enjoy it more if you get to the end and go like, oh yeah, that is the way that I wanted to spend, I don't know, 30 minutes of my life. I released my first solo episode last week talked about the polar vortex, kind of a stream of consciousness thing. I'm a little bit more organized and uh, higher energy this week. I was just kind of in the throes of everything being lit on fire or freezing to a, a bone crushing cold around me. And currently it is 72 degrees outside and I'm heavily caffeinated. So it's, I have a good blend of things going on that um, lead to a good episode. Hopefully I have a fucking agenda in my notes app We'll see how that goes. I'm still in the process of, I have several episodes filmed and recorded of this show with guests, and I'm really excited to share all of them. The editing process takes a long time. I am in the process of finding a uh, more permanent solution to that. Uh, Maybe an employee, maybe a subcontractor, maybe uh, an indentured servitude. I don't know. Blackmail. Blackmail is always an option. We'll, (laughs) We'll see what what works out there. But in the meantime, this type of episode, audio only, just by myself, super easy to crank out. Um, So I think I'm going to be doing that on a regular basis, maybe weekly, maybe whenever the fuck I want. So I listen to a ton of podcasts. It's part of the reason why I started my own. I know that everyone has a podcast that has been said to me a thousand fucking times in the last couple of months. I get it. Everyone's written a book. Everyone has started a band. Everyone's opened a restaurant. Everyone's had kids before, whatever. I mean, like we live on a planet of 7 billion people 
and we all have pretty similar interests at the end of the day and our ways of artistically expressing ourselves or starting a business or making money. So, yep, I'm sorry that I have not come up with some sort of like mind-blowingly new thing where I just like think thoughts and then they just appear in your head and then I somehow monetize that. I'm using an existing format and I hope to use it better than uh, we'll just say the majority. If I can be in the top 50% of podcasts that you listen to in terms of what you enjoy and what you look forward to, that's great. So that being said, if you can uh, like and subscribe to the show on social platforms as well as where you listen to podcasts, I'd greatly appreciate that because then you get a notification when a new episode comes out. And I know that the best podcasts out there like Armchair Expert and Smartless and Sam Harris and all these other people typically stick to a schedule. That's also their mainly full-time job and they have like a producer and a production assistant and an editor and all this other shit. So they can stick to that schedule. And which also means that I guess people come to depend on that. Like, Hey, it's Monday. There's going to be a new armchair. That's great. I can't do that in the time being. Uh, I hope you stick with me on this journey until I get to that point where you can depend on that. But if you're okay with having a little uncertainty in your life and just kind of sticking with me, I'll get you episodes when I can. That would be great. So all that is to say is just, you know, it'll, when a new episode pops up and you weren't expecting it, just be like, oh, cool, I got that. And next time I go take a shit, I'll listen to 15 minutes of it or whatever, or however long it takes you to poop. But I want to be there with you in spirit and audio wise when you're pooping or whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. Anyways, getting way off track here. Um, looking at my itinerary here, I'd like to talk about some music I've listened to in the past week. I'd like to talk about Ted Cruz, the temperature. Uh, a romantic holiday that just passed, the SNL that happened on Saturday. And um, I'm going to start with this one. I mean, coming out of the last four years, it is very easy to get, well, let's just say news fatigue. I was going to say tragedy fatigue, but I guess the scale of tragedy has become so multifaceted that something that is objectively bad isn't necessarily a tragedy because something might happen two days later that involves like a bus full of kids going off a fucking cliff into a wormhole or whatever, uh, which makes some hate speech not seem so terrible in comparison. But anyways, it's just, we're, I think we're all getting kind of numb to a bad thing happening. And it's almost like just kind of reaffirms that things in America are not, not great, let alone great again. And it's like, we hear it. It's like, it's like the news or whoever comes up to us and says, just so you know, uh, one third of California's on fire and we nod our head and go, okay, that sucks. And then we store that piece of awfulness into our um, emotional Disney vault and just await for the next thing to come, which will take uh, the vast majority, 90% of our attention, maybe all of it. Maybe you completely forgot that, uh, you know, huge parts of this country were on fire and, and uh, millions of people lost their homes or their life savings or even family members and pets and billions of dollars of damage all as the result of a fucking gender reveal party or that there were other gender reveal parties that happened in 2020 there was one that happened where this fucking genius decided that the best way to reveal the gender of their baby is with a fucking pipe bomb and guess what that didn't go well and an elderly member of their family caught a piece of shrapnel in the neck and fucking died with a pipe bomb which is kind of the point of a fucking pipe bomb and I'm sure that while he was making it, he wouldn't have called it a pipe bomb. He's like, this is a fun party popper with some blue powder inside of it. But when you make a compressed explosive uh, that is cased inside of a metal tube with metal casings on the ends and then a fuse, that's a pipe bomb. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> uh, you don't need a fucking explosion to announce 
the gender of your baby. Just like do just have like a fun party game and like get some catering or like a nice bottle of tequila or I don't know. You just figure out a way to talk about what genitals your baby has without explosions. Hmm? Can we can we do that? Okay. If we all agree to do that, less people will die in 2020. So let's let's start there. But anyways, so one of those stories <laughs> that has happened in 2020 that you may have never heard of or you heard of it and completely forgot is actually connected to very close to my hometown. Let me tell you about it. So it is about a pharmacist and his name is Steven Brandenburg. And he is a pharmacist in a town called Grafton, Wisconsin. Grafton is, I grew up in a suburb of Milwaukee. Grafton is much further away from Milwaukee. That I, I don't even think you'd call it a suburb. It's just, it's a more rural, but upscale like upper middle class, I guess, area of Wisconsin. And this winner has been a pharmacist since 1997. So when I describe the rest of the story, I want you to keep in mind that this guy has been a licensed medical professional for decades. Okay. So what this guy did that he ended up getting caught for, and again, just keep in mind that with the things I describe and having these set of beliefs and whatnot, it is unlikely that these are things that developed in the last six months or year or, or maybe even decade to a certain degree. And think about how vulnerable you are, or how much you implicitly trust, even if you go to Walgreens or something, how much you trust the, the man or woman in the white lab coat that you hand a prescription to or is just pulling your medical information out of a computer goes and gets a white bag with a long label on it and pills in a bottle. You just trust. You probably don't even think about it. I don't, I pretty much don't think about it because I've yet to be like poisoned or something by my pharmacist. So you just get to a point of being like, okay, this is safe. I trust this person to not be a delusional psychopath who believes conspiracy theories who potentially could be selling my information or poisoning my meds or hurting my mother or God knows what. You just trust. And that level of blind trust can lead to shit like this happening. So what he did is for months leading up to the event that I'm going to describe, he, to anyone, this is in the uh, police report, and then there was a follow-up FBI report. So it gives you a little taste of how bad this gets. He openly talked about with his coworkers, the owner of the pharmacy, even customers, if they wanted to get into it. Um, he believed the upcoming vaccine for COVID-19 was, and uh, these are direct quotes, microchipped, would turn off people's birth control and would make others infertile. He had been saying that for months at the pharmacy before this even happened. And what happened is he left out, I believe this was in December, he purposely sabotaged 570 doses of the vaccine. And you may or may not know, but it's it's required that the Moderna vaccine is kept at a very, very low temperature and consistently kept at that temperature up to the point of being administered for a variety of scientific reasons. But he purposely left out 570 doses to spoil them because he truly believed in his heart of hearts that this was bad for people. If the story stopped there, it would still piss me off, but at least I would get it more like I'd get like okay you truly believe that you were saving people in I guess just in grafting because there's going to be more vaccines and other people are getting vaccines but everyone's got to do their part right so it would be better although still relatively awful if all he did was just spoil the vaccines but that's not where it stopped he still allowed people to receive these spoiled vaccines so it's weird to have the intention of like, I feel like I'm saving people. So I'm going to turn approved medicine and vaccines into something that is by definition 
spoiled, therefore turning into something that's not approved. And then it's pretty safe to assume not safe for human ingestion, consumption, whatever, and still allowed that to be administered to dozens of people. What the fuck, man? Like, does he think that just, okay, well, this is spoiled now. So it's just the equivalent of like injecting, uh, you know, salinated water or something like he doesn't fucking know. So, and you might be asking yourself, well, what kind of medical professional who's been a pharmacist since 1997 would all of a sudden just start doing this? Well, let me, let me tell you more about Mr. Steven Brandenburg from Grafton, Wisconsin. He is a devout flat earther. And this is my favorite. He believes that the sky, <laughs> he believes that the sky is a government shield to prevent people from seeing God. I love that. I would love to have him sitting across from me on a couch right now so I can ask. I just, you know, I wouldn't say anything. I just ask him the question and I want him to just fucking roll for 20 minutes and tell me about what is the origin of that? Like at what point, I, I guess before recorded history, or there was some sort of isolated incident where the government and only the government realized that the normal sky, not the sky that has the government shield on it right now, of course, but members of the government or some sort of secret subsect of the government realized that if you just looked up at the sky you could see God uh, and presumably just, you know, one God, the right God, whatever God he thinks is, you know, he might be Christian. He might be, he's definitely fucking crazy, but, but in his mind, the government somehow identified like, oh, well, everyday humans can just like look up in the sky and see the grand creator. So we need to build a shield to give the illusion like the Truman show. And we're basically all inside of a bubble and it's blocking us from seeing God and I'm just, I'm just thinking about this in real time. That also implies that God, this, all, this omnipotent creator of the universe, has been thwarted by um, the United States government, or who knows, maybe it's a global government, maybe it's the deep state, but that God is not able to penetrate this shield. Good job, government. <laughs> government one, God zero, shield worked. And I just can't believe being any kind of functional member of society and truly believing in your heart of hearts that every day that you walk outside, you're underneath a sky that's a, a, a huge lie. And every single person you're walking around, you're the only one who knows you and some select group of neckbeards living in their mom's basement that you know for sure that the sky is a shield that's protecting all of us from seeing God and God can't get through it. How can you just live your normal life, let alone be a medical professional in a field that is so deeply rooted in science and precision and peer review and authenticity and uh, and retesting and and how that I just that causes so much cognitive dissonance for me unless this guy had some sort of like severe head injury that was not reported in the last couple of years and he switched from being a perfectly normal decent respectable pharmacist for 20 years and then during the last four years just decided to be this fucking nightmare so he spoils 570 doses of the vaccine. Oh, he brings a gun to work because, quote, it's in case the military comes to take me away. Again, really breaking that down. Why? Oh, God, If you were actually of the mindset that I need to be armed as I go into this medical facility, because there's even a possibility that, and I'm using air quotes, the government is going to come take me away how can you even function enough to like go to work? How can you juggle those two things? Like, well, I still need to focus on my nine to five job and save it for my retirement and pay my water bill and make sure I catch the new fucking Grey's Anatomy on Thursday night. But also I need to be armed just in case shit goes down. I can fucking drop down on the government uh, so they don't take me away. 
as if, and that's this transitions into the next part of like how this is so crazy. In your mind, you have a gun that what at most has uh, 16 bullets in it. And it, what, like what happens in this scenario? Let's say you're totally right. And that you are actually a target of the government. And then they come to take you away. So now everything's come to fruition. You're inside the pharmacy. The government shows up, presumably more than just like one guy, like Mr. Smith from the matrix. And presumably those people have guns and presumably they came from an office with even more people. And then the office is part of a network, like an entire government that's full of even more people. And they have fucking machine guns and explosives and SWAT teams. And like, what, what do you think best case scenario government comes to get you because of who the fuck knows you have a gun, you shoot like three agents and the end you thwarted the government and you go to the pharmacy the next day and continue poisoning people. Like the idea of rationalizing what a crazy person thinks is a foolish endeavor, but it's still worth trying to think of. I know that I'm being an asshole and, and mocking this guy, but part of even attempting to be empathetic to someone who is, I think clearly mentally ill is try to understand where does that thought even begin to grow in someone's mind. And again, a member of the medical community, like it, I think it's a fair assumption that members of the medical and scientific community rely on objective fact and truth and verifiable evidence and things like that. And, you know, obviously a lot of people we've seen it in the last couple of years, last four years are prone to be influenced by bullshit like QAnon and talk radio and shit like that on either side, just, but on the fringe, on the extreme level, people can be influenced that way. But like, just members of the medical community, I just have a hard time understanding and accepting that. So dude is a flat earther, believes that the sky is a shield to protect us from seeing God, prevent us, sorry, from seeing God because the government does that. Brings a gun to work in case the government comes to take him away. Purposely ruins almost 600 doses of the vaccine, which personally fucking pisses me off. I mean, that's 570 doses that could have gone to highly vulnerable people like my aunt who died in November last year um, of COVID. And I, if it's just in fucking infuriating to that, this is this guy's one man army approach of stopping the, um, you know, people's birth control from being turned off. And that means that there was 570 doses worth of that couldn't be administered that normally would have been administered. And then people can die in that time period. That's just how this shit works. My aunt went from, diagnosed like tested positive to COVID to being told she needs to be put on a respirator in three days and then pass the next day. If you were scheduled to be vaccinated a week before then, it's it just, it's very infuriating for me to even go down that fucking rabbit hole and think about what horrible things that this guy deserves. And we're going to get to what he deserves, but so a coworker reported him based on really well-founded suspicions, like the fact that he was talking about his conspiracies about the government, the fact that he was bringing a gun to work, the fact that he has been telling people even before this pharmacy had the vaccine that he thinks it's uh, bullshit at best and dangerous at worst and that he had intentions to like address the issue. So there was a time period where it became clear that he was reported, but before he was got arrested and he basically figured out who the coworker was that reported him. And according to her, he, until he got arrested, he gave her a daily harassment of guilt trip saying if he lost his job, that he would lose his kids because he was in the middle of a contentious divorce. I'd feel terrible for that woman. And that would be her fault. How fucked in the head do you need to be to believe all of those things, continue to bring a gun to work, have done something so medically 
negligent. And obviously, even if you believe those things to be true in terms of what the vaccine is, you still have to know that that's not acceptable behavior for a medical professional and not some, some sort of sustainable behavior if you want to keep your job, let alone keep your fucking license, let alone keep your fucking freedom as a citizen who is like not committing crimes that could kill people, that you do all of those things and then somehow you're able to <laughs> look at your coworker and be like, hey, if I lose my job, this is on you. Fuck you. Fuck you, Steven Brandenburg. Yeah, so he got arrested. He initially pled. He said he didn't do it. Then he said it was an accident, which that almost pisses me off the most where it's like you in your heart of hearts believe all these things. At least have the fucking courage and, and just like emotional fortitude to if you truly believe that this was poison and that you're doing the right thing, fucking own it, Steven. But no, you fucking lie about it and then you say it's a mistake. And then I don't know if they just wore him down or whatever, but um, at the he quickly after that uh, admitted that he did it on purpose, at which point he was fired, had his license suspended. And I think, I guess you can have shit like permanently suspended, which seems like a little bit of a oxymoron. Suspension, I think by definition, tends to be more of a, it's like a uh, state of being, meaning it's not uh, implicitly forever. Um, you know, you get suspended from school. That's different than being expelled. Expelled is definitive. You don't get expelled for a week. You get suspended for a week, which, you know, it's built into that, that you come back after the suspension. So the idea of having your medical license permanently suspended seems bizarre, but whatever. I'm sure there's rationale for that. So he faces up to 10 years for, quote, attempting to tamper with a consumer product. A few things on that. One, I think it's interesting that the charge is attempting to tamper because he absolutely fucking did tamper. And it's pretty easy to show that he would have had the intention to do. So he should be charged for future attempts because he showed the intent to do it. But then also he should get the charge of tampering because he fucking did it. He ruined 570 doses and allowed those to be administered. Maybe there's no specific precedence for that. So they don't have the exact charge to give him. But he faces up to 10 years. Most people, unless they're repeat offenders, don't end up getting the sentencing of the max. But I hope I hope a fucking judge makes an example of him. This shouldn't be something like a liberal opinion. We should all be of the mindset that this fucking guy should be in prison for a very long time. What he did may have, and it still may, I don't, we don't know what happens when people get expired vaccine injected into them. People could die of this and people could have died because they were scheduled to get a vaccine. He robbed them of that uh, because he ruined that pharmacy supply. So the people of Grafton, Wisconsin should be fucking outraged. And yes, this guy should never step foot into a medical facility again. I, don't know, I wish I wish fucking terrible things for you, Mr. Steven Brandenburg of Grafton, Wisconsin. So anyways, just in case you forgot about that, that's a thing. He's still awaiting trial. I, just, I hope terrible things happen to him. Next on my list, yeah, today's it's 74 degrees. Within a week, we went from, in Austin, Texas, we went from 4 degrees to 74 degrees Fahrenheit. That's fucking crazy. And imagine if you went 70 degrees in either direction from that range. So we went from like 74 to negative, whatever that is, um, you know, negative 60. I've been in negative 60 degree weather in Wisconsin. It's fucking awful. It, that's the weather that like kills your cell phone, even if it's fully charged or the moisture in your nose and around your eyes freezes as soon as you step outside. That's the kind of temperature where you see the videos of someone going outside and throwing a pot of boiling water in the air and it instantly freezes and turns into snow. Imagine going to that range uh, within a week or imagine going from 74 to like 150. We would all be dead. 
So this is an incredibly extreme temperature shift for anywhere on earth, but certainly for Texas. I looked it up. The coldest temperature on record for Texas ever was negative two. And I wasn't able to find like how quickly it got warmed back up again. But like, this is extremely abnormal. And I just today, like two hours before starting to record this, I just got a message saying that, Hey, congrats. You don't have to worry about being poisoned by your water anymore. And that the, uh, Utility company has addressed the issues that existed and that I talked about last week in terms of water mains breaking and then just foreign elements being introduced to Austin's water supply from there. And then the water processing plant not being fully powered because of the power grid issues that Austin had in this last week. Something very frustrating that I was not aware of is that a year to the day that uh, the storm started for us uh, in Texas last week, a year to the day, 10 years ago, 2011, there was a very, very similar thing happen in terms of the set of conditions and not surprisingly, the fallout of that where it wasn't some, you know, by Wisconsin standards, it was a mild snowstorm, but then it was sustained with a week of freezing temperatures. So that ice stays on the ground, the snow stays on the ground. And then that affects things like the power grid, the water supply, people's houses. And there was a huge deal made about this. And there were specific things that were laid out in terms of what needed to be addressed in things like new house construction, infrastructure, and most importantly, the Texas's power grid. A very specific plan was laid out that wasn't in in the scope of things that we spend money on otherwise. This was not some sort of unattainable, break the bank, way too futuristic and advanced thing that the state can't do. And it's arguably the most important thing. During inclement weather, People need power and people can die if they don't, especially at a prolonged period of time. So Texas had 10 years to address this and didn't. And the same thing happened and people died. It's a fucking problem. Can we please, please address this fucking assholes like Rick Perry in the first couple of days of the storm said, I mean, speaking on behalf of 11 million people or whatever lives in Texas and just, just very defiantly and proudly said like, my fellow Texans are proud to go through blackouts as a statement of them not wanting to be a part of a federally regulated system and all this bullshit about Texas wanting to secede. Fuck you. Yes, I'm sure there are people who agree with you. And obviously, there are many people who disagree with you. And even the people who agree with you still don't want these fucking blackouts. And they certainly don't want it for their loved ones, especially if they're in a vulnerable position. How fucking dare you? And then Obviously, unless you've lived under a rock, you probably have seen what happened with Ted Cruz, that at the peak of things being awful, he and his family decided to go to Cancun. And the amount of backtracking that's happened and then him shooting himself in the foot over and over again is pretty fucking hilarious. I'm not going to go into all of it, but basically he tried to blame this on his daughters and then someone in his wife's friend group leaked the text conversation that her and her friends were having up to the point of like, just being like, hey, we have a ton of money. We we, we know that we can get on a plane and go to an all-inclusive. It was a very self-serving thing and I don't blame anyone for not wanting to be in Texas during this pretty awful time, but dude, you are a fucking senator. You represent the state and you are a representative of America. You had to, you fucking had to know that the optics of this would be catastrophic. And if this was in 2018, when he was running against Beto, I truly believe that this would have pushed him over the edge of losing. Everyone should be pissed off about this. And everyone should be pissed off that the dude can't even just own up to the fact that just be a human being and be like, it was really miserable. We had the means to leave. So we left, but why Mexico? Like, why be that fucking stupid of you leaving 
your hometown, let alone Texas, was going to look bad. You should know that. That's basically politics 101. But go to like Miami, go to the Keys, go to Arizona, go to California. Plenty of other like warm, lovely places that don't have to worry about shit in their water and not having heat for five days. That it's in America that it that doesn't directly contradict like so many foundational things of your political platform. Just so stupid. Just so profoundly fucking stupid. And all Texans should be mad about this. And all dog lovers should be mad about it too because they left their fucking dog behind. His name is Snowball. There's pictures of him through the windows of their fucking estate that they live in. That their house, which also had no power or heat or anything, they left their fucking dog in so they could go to goddamn Cancun. Ted Cruz, fuck you. You don't deserve the office that you have for so many other reasons than this. But we live in a country where elections, where people vote on things as fucking ridiculous as how does John Kerry catch a football and how does George Bush catch a football? And I think the general consensus there was given the two photos. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. This is so fucking stupid. People gave a shit that there was this one photo of George Bush, like, I don't know, confidently catching a football. Like that's some sort of achievement. And then there's a football of Kerry basically like in some sort of like flinching position as if someone threw a football at you and then said like, heads up to get your attention. And then you turned and saw the football coming. So people somehow in their infinite wisdom were able to translate who would be a better leader based on these two photos of how they catch a football. Are you fucking kidding me? I shouldn't be surprised by that, especially because we elected a rapey uh, reality TV star to lead our country for the last four years. So, but anyways, all of that is to say, if people care about how someone catches a fucking football, you should give a very big goddamn about your representatives who abandon you in your absolute time of need. Even just the symbolism of them staying with their people matters, let alone like pulling strings and the power and the connections you have to get shit done. Or the fact that in the last 10 years, like I said before, there were things that could have been done to address this from a power grid level from the second this started. Even just from an optic standpoint, what you should have been doing is working with your team and figuring out, even if it's just hollow statements that you wouldn't be able to enact until later for whatever variety of red tape reasons, but start addressing tangible, identifiable things as this will never happen again. And here's how, and here's why I'm responsible for it. And I'm, you know, this is, you should love me even more because I'm looking out for my people, whatever. There's so many ways that he could have taken advantage of this situation to make him look good, even though he doesn't deserve it. But instead he just found probably one of the best ways to fuck this up and then throw his own daughters under the bus. Like, oh, just look it up. I just, I don't want to get into it, but fuck that guy. Fuck him. Fuck. Uh, what do we got? Uh, two more things. One, Valentine's Day was last week. I am curious what y'all think about Valentine's Day. I've been in many, many, many relationships since I was like, I don't know, 15. I'm currently 37. Uh, There's been a lot of, a lot of love, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of flings, a lot of unmatched feelings, unrequited love, all the good stuff that comes with the human condition of and wanting that connection and sexual chemistry and wanting your soulmate or whatever. So having a day to celebrate that, which I think normally would just be like your anniversary or just pick an arbitrary day. But Valentine's day is just an interesting thing that like a whole myriad of things. I think it's important early on for two people interested in each other to talk about. I mean, there's so many things like your views on politics and religion and raising kids and your sexual preferences and your kinks and all this stuff. But I do think at at some point, something like Valentine's day 
should make the list. My preference is to be with someone that doesn't give a shit about Valentine's Day. And I've been in a scenario where my significant other has said that because they can tell that that's what I wanted to hear. But then in their heart, they hope that I like surprise them and be like, hey, even though I know that you said you don't like Valentine's Day, here's a fucking bouquet of roses and some chocolate covered strawberries. And then I don't do that. And then they're disappointed in me. Hey, gang, that's not fair. Let's not do that shit. (laughs) Just be honest about what you want. Life is so much better. Sex is so much better. Relationships are so much better. When you're just honest, even if it's uncomfortable in the moment being honest, just do that. Rip that little bandaid off in the upfront. Be honest with your partner and everything is always better. And if it's not better because of honesty, then that's not a relationship that you want to be in. Think about that. In what fucking rational scenario can you think of a relationship that you'd want to be in where honesty makes your relationship worse? Hopefully you don't come to an answer for that. And if you do, whatever, maybe that's your kink. Maybe you like being... (laughs) fucking emotionally slapped around or you enjoy disappointing your significant other. I I don't know. But in general, let's just all, let's do honesty. Cards on the table. Everything's better. I promise you. I've learned that lesson the hard way. But um, yeah, I don't like Valentine's Day. If you do, I hope your partner does. But I think it's um, it's blown out of proportion. And uh, it's a corporatized piece of shit. Just like Sweetest Day. Although I think Valentine's Day is more established. But whatever. Curious what you guys think about that. Uh, Feel free to let me know comment on this or go to the website or go to the social at MindMeld on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I have a whole bunch of clips up right now and like because I'm working on editing so many of the already recorded episodes uh, with guests that you can see stuff that's coming, but uh, I'm going to be posting this on there as well, as well as wherever you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, feel free to, to drop a line. I, I really enjoy hearing from people. So last night, I or sorry, new topic, moving on. Last night, I watched the new SNL. I really enjoy the SNL cast of the last four or five years. I really like like Beck Bennett and Keenan Thompson and Kate McKinnon and Cecily Strong. And like, so there's so many like really, really great performers on there that I think are super versatile. And I think, I hope that a lot of them have careers, be it a movie, film, or even just like writing, directing, uh, behind the scenes or on camera. I think there's a lot of good talent right there. I think that there's probably some direction that's happening from the higher ups, whether it be Lauren Michael or studio executives to like tap into a younger audience, which I get because this is an institution and part of being an institution is staying relevant. I think that they're over the 30 year mark, maybe even more. So part of that is like when you're writing skits, make sure that you're talking about relevant topical stuff that hopefully addresses or is funny or relevant to as many of the demographics. Like in one episode, you should probably try to hit the sweet spot of as many of your built-in demographics as possible. And I get that like something that I find funny or or my mom finds funny is probably not going to be the same as what a, you know, 14 year old TikTok enthusiast finds funny. And all of those people in that 55 year age gap can enjoy the show. So I get that's a unique, special set of circumstances. That's a hard challenge to face. And, and I think they do a, a, a pretty good job of trying to address that every week. That being said, this Saturday, the host was, and I want to read this correctly. I spilled it out phonetically here. Reggae John Page. And I'd never heard of him before. He is from the show Bridgerton, which is like a, like a steamy, spicy, sex-filled, soap opera-y drama in a kind of, I think like Elizabethan Victorian England. And I think there's been plenty of 
stories and movies and books told in this time period. And I think Americans really like it. And this is just like a more sex driven um, version of, but anyway, so this guy is, is like the main male lead of this show. And I, it doesn't bother me that I don't know Bridgerton. I don't think I'm the core demographic for it. What bothers me is that I looked at this guy's IMDb before recording this. He's done nothing other than the show. And the show has only been out for one season and only had eight episodes. When you look at the, the average host that they have on SNL throughout the decades, these are established performers. And I get that you want to have a host that has the spotlight on them currently, or they have a new movie coming out or an important collaboration, or they just married a celebrity or there's some sort of like gossip about them. Like you want relevancy and the like hotness of this person to be tied into the episode. I get that. But the if you watch the episode, you will see that they're just putting all of their eggs in the Bridgerton basket. There's nothing else to rely on. And like as someone who didn't watch that show, and I'm, I know that there's millions of people who did watch that show. I think it might have even broken some records in terms of just like Tiger King did and just like Bird Box did. Like in terms of being watched by a lot of people, I think that there's probably more people, and there's millions in both groups. But there's probably more people who either haven't even seen Bridgerton, or just don't give a fuck. And this was such a like targeted it's, it felt like the whole episode was basically just for people who have seen Bridgerton which given what I said five minutes ago about trying to check the boxes of the most of your demographic who watches the show I think that's a pretty shitty approach and not sustainable I don't think SNL has done this much I'm trying to think back I know that um, the phenomenal actress that was in Fleabag she was on the show but she had done other things certainly from an industry standpoint she had written some phenomenal shows I think Fleabag was already in its third season she was still more established than this guy so this was such a like very obvious heavy-handed approach like let's just tap into the Bridgerton audience but like does the Bridgerton audience give a fuck about next week's host like is this something where you just got high view counts for a week and then you're not sustained you're not like maintaining that viewership and if so was that worth it I don't think so but I'm sure that they're trying all kinds of things over at SNL to make the show as good as possible to make their ratings as high as possible which makes advertising spots more valuable but I, I think this was a huge fucking miss on their part, it was really, for the most part, a pretty dull episode. And there was so, it just relied so much on either Bridgerton, the show itself, or the implication of how sexy this guy is, which again, if you haven't watched the show or don't care about it, it's not just because someone's attractive doesn't necessarily like, you're not going to just start watching the show and see this guy for the first time. You're like, oh man, I want to fuck this guy. That's why this show is, that's why this episode is going to be great. That's just, that's a really high expectation that I don't, I don't think came to fruition. And finally, and something I want to do on a weekly basis, I want to talk about a um, artist and album that I've been listening to the last week, and there's two of them. So one of them is a band called Eyes Set to Kill, and it is a, I think, predominantly female band. Female, there was a front woman, and I believe that she also plays guitar, and they fucking rip. It's really good. Like, I was, I've, I've dove into their, I was locked in my house for like the last week. So I dove into their catalog. I, you know, I, I usually start with like on Spotify, listening to their top five songs, usually a good place to start just to get an idea of whether or not you even want to dive into one of their albums. And I believe as a musician, albums are very intentional song choice, track listing, like the layout is very intentional. So if you're, you know, start with the five top five songs, most popular songs on Spotify to see if you even like the style. But then in terms of like enjoying the music as the artist intends, I would recommend picking an album and listening to it cover to cover, so to speak. Um, and that's what I did with their self-titled album after listening to their current single, which is called Find Our Way. And it's just awesome. It, like to me, it reminds me of a combination of like Sick Puppies, Kitty, 
and Breaking Benjamin. So it's like really, really well-produced, melodic, hard rock with some really heavy, brutal moments. But for the most part, even if that's not your style of music, it's like hooky, heavy, driving. You know, there's songs that you listen to it and you listen to the first chorus and by the second chorus, you're already humming along with it for the vast majority of the album. Like it's, um, it's really, really good. Like super good guitar tones, memorable songs driving. They do a good job of like running the gamut too. Like most of it is driving hard melodic rock, but they have some low key, uh, chill songs as well. And I, uh, I thoroughly recommend it. And then the other one, and this is what I'm going to end on is the new Foo Fighters album, which is called medicine at midnight. I have been a huge Foo Fighters fan since, um, I mean, Dave Grohl made the Foo Fighters while he was still in Nirvana, made it on a, he, you know, he made a cassette tape where he played all of the parts and wrote uh, a set of songs that ended up becoming the first, what, what people call the Ray Gun album. It's just that first Foo Fighters album that has like Big Me and I'll Stick Around and stuff like that on there. And um, he was really scared about it. He'd never done anything like independent like that before. He made this cassette. He showed it to Kurt while he was still alive and got some feedback on it. And Kurt said he fucking loved it. He There's this interview where Dave talks about like, Kurt was kind of quiet while listening to the whole thing. And he was sitting in the tub and then he just like gets out of the tub and gets up and just gives Dave a hug and says like, you know, I love it. This is, I'm so happy that you're doing this. And, um, Dave put out the Foo Fighters album as Foo Fighters. He didn't want people to know that it was the drummer of Nirvana. In fact, there's, it's still, I think Nirvana's in their 26th year of making music. And there's still people that don't know that Dave Grohl was the last drummer. There was actually several drummers of Nirvana, but he was the last drummer in Nirvana. And I think that that's Dave prefers that and they still managed to become arguably the biggest rock band in the world um at least of our generation you know like this they're still like the stones and whatnot they're they have the longevity and, and the catalog and stuff but the Foo Fighters just I think like commercially and relevance wise and how prolific they are I think that by most standards they're the biggest uh rock band in the world so when you have a band like that that's prolific I think they're on their 12th album I don't know about you, but like, I hope to see a band evolve. Like Radiohead is a real extreme example, but I, I love that. But like when you get to a certain point and Pearl Jam did this, like when you get to a certain point of fame and you have that built-in fan base, I let's encourage our favorite artists to explore. I'm not saying make a, a complete genre change, but like if you want to work with, so like Foo Fighters in the last couple albums have worked with like producers and like co-songwriters that are not from a hard rock genre and it has resulted in some really interesting albums and you can still go back to listen to the color and the shape if you love everlong and monkey wrench and stuff like that like you still have those classic albums that you can go back and listen to but don't be upset that the albums that they put out 20 years later doesn't sound like monkey wrench like i don't know why fans would want that from their artists like you have the songs that you like enjoy those but to expect someone who like they do this for their career and their artistic outlet you want them to do the same thing for multiple decades i don't get that so there is this um review <laughs> from the av club which is I, I believe connected to the onion and there's just this one snippet that i want to read so basically the review of the album is between two of the writers at the av club and both of them claim to be like die hard foo fighter fans but they talk about how they feel about this album. The title of this review is, is the Foo Fighters new pop oriented album, a triumph or a turd. So good start there. And this came out on February 4th. And it's basically just this conversation between these two writers at the AV club talking about whether or not they like it. Spoiler. Basically they both don't like it and they give a myriad of reasons why, but I wanted to read this, this one snippet just to talk about how much I 
think this review is stupid. Gwen says, I will never quit the Foo Fighters. My love of the first two records still knows no bounds. And then in parentheses says, I would put on the color and the shape tomorrow. That's the album that has Monkey Wrench and Everlong on it. Uh, and they've given me some of the greatest live show experiences, yes, even in arena rock that I've ever had. In fact, it's the opening bands, Raygun, Cheap Trick, and the live covers like Under Pressure, Miss You, and Schools Out that indicate the unbreakable tie between Dave Grohl and fans like me. We all grew up on the same classic rock radio. The band is never better than when Dave and company just dive into that unabashed love for Bell Bottoms era rock and roll. I mean, if you listen to this album, you would think that based on that paragraph, they would love the album. But here's where it goes. So I was disappointed when the Foos debuted their new song, Shame Shame, on their recent Saturday Night Live appearance. They actually misspelled Saturday Night Live. Shame on you. A snoozier song has scarcely been released. When people say that the Foo Fighters have no new sound to offer, this track, so somnambulant, and I'm going to define that word for you, so somnambulant as to appear to be actually running backward is actually what they're talking about. It's not the worst song on Medicine at Midnight. That would be the <laughs> excurably schmaltzy chasing birds, which aimed for a walking after you territory and failed miserably. So somnambulant because I'm sure that's how you describe all the mix you listen to, is an adjective that is resembling or characteristic of a sleepwalker, sluggish. So a band that you love went out of their way. It's just so weird to say that like uh, when people say the Foo Fighters have no new sound to offer and you love the color and the shape, but then they put out a song that doesn't sound like the color and the shape, you take a shit on it. I don't, I don't get that. Like, be happy that your artists are evolving and trying new things or just listen to the fucking color and the shape and then go find some different band. It's just crazy that, like, writers like this expect the bands that they love to just stay the same, which you would, any any art enthusiast, even if you're not a musician, would hope that these creators evolve and find new sounds and new collaborations and stuff. So this article is, is very much so... Um, just counterintuitive. There's another one in here that I uh, that I love. Oh God. Okay. This this pissed me off. So this is from the other writer who is Alex McLevy or Levy. I'm not sure. Like you, I was a fan from the start. Hell, even more so considering Grohl. And this is a hyperlink, uh, so you can click on it, and read his story. Reached out to me as a young punk kid to offer words of encouragement when I needed them. I'll always be curious to hear what he's up to, but a funny thing happened over the past few years. First, there was the Sonic Highways documentary and accompanying album, which was the first time I realized that Grohl wasn't exactly a world-class lyricist. That was a great music doc series that unfortunately ended each episode with a new Foo Fighters song, the lyrics prominently displayed on the screen. A genuine mistake if the show wanted people to come away with a newfound admiration for Grohl's words. Okay, there's, as a Foo Fighter, these people claim to be Foo Fighter fans, this is such, there's so much wrong with this sentence. That's the genius of the, the whole point of the show is they go to, it's eight or nine cities that they go to. They interview all of the prominent musicians from as many genres as possible that are still alive. So blues, soul, funk, rap, hip hop, metal, punk, hardcore, uh, acoustic, whatever. They get as many people from as many generations as possible and hear their stories of what brought them to the city or what brought them into music and how their music is reflective of the city that they love and they record in and that they, how they foster new creativity within their community and how they're excited about the new generation of people in Seattle or New Orleans or Nashville or New York. And then it's, it's so clear that it, 
and this is probably why it's written on the fucking screen, that the lyrics are based off of those conversations. The whole album is called Sonic Highways. It's literally a love letter to the music of America and these different cities. And the lyrics are based on, they literally pull quotes from what all of these people say. Trent Reznor, Muddy Waters, Melissa Etheridge, Frank Black. Uh, so, and also if you did think that Dave Grohl was some sort of like lyrical mastermind before this, then you haven't been listening. I think he's a pretty good lyricist in terms of like, it's not trite, but I would not call it poetry. It's really great for what it is. So just specifically call this out and basically verbally describe what the show is and then say that was a genuine mistake. Then you you're watching the wrong show, bro. Like fucking wake up and realize the purpose of the whole goddamn album. That, that was, that's so stupid to me. Similarly, I could never really get into concrete and gold, which sounded a little too much like a bar band playing covers of old classic B sides, amusing at times, but hardly inspiring. God, I <laughs> just, uh, as a Foo Fighter fan, I just that's a prof- I think that's a profoundly stupid statement. When you listen to Dave talk about his partnership with the Bird and the Bee producer that he went out of his way to hire and talk to, to with the rest of the Foo Fighters to see like this was a very intentional album. It was almost like a, a concept album to get the Foo Fighters sound but in the lens of this guy who's done genius work with like Adele and Sia and there's so many cool guest performances uh, on this album like one of the guys from Boys to Men, Paul McCartney, Justin Timberlake. Uh, the jazz musicians, pop singers, rappers, like there's so much, it's such a cool evolution thing. So to, to diminish that down to, and again, this isn't, this is probably in the context of the expectation that all albums should sound like the color and the shape. Therefore, when you deviate from that, I'm going to shit on it and call it a, a bar band playing covers of old classic B sides, amusing at times, but hardly inspiring. That's, you're not a good Foo Fighter fan. And I'm thinking you're probably not a good, just fan of music in general. I, I just, it, I, don't, I know that like, this is all subjective and like, it's just people's opinions, but also you're a professional and you're getting paid for this. So I think the idea is that you're qualified when making these opinions and that they should be rooted in something that is generally understandable for the music making and consuming community. So if your standards of excellence are a band that made something that I deem as great 24 years ago still needs to be doing that 24 years later, or they're not good, then maybe it's not the job for you. Or maybe they, maybe he specifically employed uh, he or she, I suppose Alex could be a woman to do like controversial reviews I don't really care that this is this person's opinion. It just bothers me that what it's rooted in. It just doesn't really seem like you're actually a Foo Fighter fan. Uh, And then this is the last one that just really set me off. So, but good God, does this latest album crap the bed? You call making a fire triumphant. I burst out laughing the first time I heard those opening na-na-nas, which Dave Grohl's daughter sings on. I think it's the first time I heard that song, I was legitimately like shaking my ass in my seat. And I've just, before the song even finished, I'm sending it out to my friends that I know either like the Foo Fighters or just like rock music in general. It's catchy as fuck. It's powerful. It's an awesome opening to the album. It doesn't sound like anything off of the color and the shape. I'm sorry. It was two fucking decades ago. (laughs) Continuing here. And I have a hard time imagining anyone taking it seriously, let alone finding it awesome. Well, I did, Alex. Jesus Christ. Like, again, I understand that this is your opinion, but if your opinion is so resolute that you can't even comprehend the idea that other people could possibly like this, then I have no fucking idea. First of all, what your Foo Fighter fandom is rooted in, let alone what your concept and appreciation of music as a whole is rooted in. 
there's plenty of music. Like I'm in general, I'm not a huge rap fan, but there are plenty elements of some of the classic albums that I 100% can understand why the fans of it, why they enjoy it. So for you to say like, I can't even imagine anyone taking it seriously, which is such a fucking condescending thing to say. And then let alone finding it awesome. And then to, to continue, it's an attempt to bust out some of that old FM radio flavor you mentioned, but frankly, the band doesn't have the songwriting chops to incorporate such ambitious flourishes. You're wrong. Just as the acoustic half of In Your Honor always felt like a misguided detour away from Grohl's strong suits as a musician. Again, this is in the opinion of uh, Alex. And the strong suits are loud as fuck guitars and booming rock choruses. Medicine at Midnight efforts to bring in synth heavy and orchestral retro rock influences plays like someone's uncool uncle who used to gig in a hair metal band discovering Pro Tools and thinking, sweet, I always wanted to make Bad Out of Hell 4. Dude. It, it's like you're trying to be an asshole. Like like that level of snark, I would I I, I cringe to think about how I you know if I went back and looked at other reviews of um Alex and the artists that they've reviewed from maybe even bands that they'd never heard of or that they just right off the bat don't like anyways, and this is the kind of review that you're giving a band that you claim to love. And you affectionately link to an article like, I'm always, uh, he reached out to me when I was a punk kid in need of encouragement. And I'm always curious to see what he's going to be up to. And then you take this runny shit on your, in your, using your platform to leverage it. You just shit all over not only this album, but basically this current iteration of what the Foo Fighters are and their artistic evolution and expansion. It's just like, what? God damn it. That just sounds like so unfulfilling. If you actually believe this and you're so this disappointed, like violently, thoroughly, wholeheartedly disappointed by this apparently audio rape that's occurring to your, happening to your ears, like Jesus Christ, man, get a different job then because apparently you're just being assaulted on a regular basis. It's just fucking sad, dude. Anyways, in my humble opinion... <laughs> I think the album's fucking great. It's not my favorite Foo Fighters album. I'm, I do think it's a great example of them continuing to evolve and try different things as a band who strives to be prolific. And I would hope that what's what most people want from their bands. I'm not saying that the Foo Fighters can do no wrong. There's plenty of Foo Fighters songs that I just flat out don't enjoy, but they're still in the context of an album that I think is of Foo Fighters caliber. And I like that in the second half of their career, Dave has been going out of his way to expand what the Foo Fighters are, and still when they go on tour, they're going to play your fucking classics, Alex. You can go to that show and hear Monkey Wrench and Everlong, and you can fucking go back to that punk kid days where you fondly remember uh, Dave reaching out to you and giving you words of encouragement, but don't fucking set yourself up for the failure of expecting Dave to adhere to you and everyone else who, for whatever reason, shares your opinion that everything needs to be the color and the shape. It's just not a way to appreciate art, or at least, I mean, you can do it that way, but you should get, you should fully brace yourself to be consistently disappointed and maybe even just disillusioned in artists as a whole. So I feel bad for you. And I, I hope that maybe over time you can change your perspective on what to expect from the artists that you love, let alone your approach to artists that you're not familiar with. Anyways, 
Rant concluded. Thank you so much for listening to this week's solo episode of the Mind Meld Podcast with Dave Perry. I'm going to chop this shit up right now and remove all of my coughs and swallows and burps and dogs barking outside and shit like that and, and throw it up. And then I'm going to continue um, editing the really great, I think, really great. I could be totally wrong. You tell me. Come to social and take a take a big Alex-level runny dump on my episodes if you don't like it. I would uh, prefer that you come to the community and let me know what you don't like about it. And please use the word somnambulant. That would, oh, Dave, these interviews are so somnambulant. I would prefer to hear that than to you just like dismiss it right away. I, I, I aim to please. I want to make the best show possible. I listen to podcasts every week. I try to learn from those who do it best and then implement it in my own way while staying true to myself. And so I'm really excited to share these video episodes that I have. And in the future, I'll be recording new video episodes and then mixing them in with audio only episodes and solo episodes. And I hope you stick with me on this journey. And if there's something you want to see, let me know. I'll fucking make it happen. You want to be on the show? Shoot me a note. If you got someone else in the uh, Austin or Texas area that you think is interesting and would be compelling or funny or emotional or whatever, sit down, please reach out. I really appreciate it. You guys are fucking great. And thank you for listening to the Mind Meld Podcast with Dave. Talk to me.